0: me to Zechariah chapter 7. The visions took place. We saw eight visions from the book of Zechariah that he received, and it all pertained to the nation of Israel and God's return to glorify himself through his people in setting up his millennial kingdom. So the whole book of Zechariah is based upon the present conditions they're in. They've just been released back into the land of Israel, and they're there to set up the millennial temple. It's stalled. They weren't doing according to God's will. But now they're back, and in, in the letter from Zechariah and, and Haggai, these letters were brought to the people, the people listened to, it stirred up Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel began building the temple again. So as when we get to chapter 7 and verse 1, we're two years into the beginning to rebuild the temple now. They've been in the land several years, but now they're beginning to rebuild the temple again. And some messages come to Zechariah in chapter 7. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month in the year Chislev. Now, when did it come to him? Well, it came when some emissaries, in verse 2, came down from Bethel. Now, Bethel is just a few miles, about 15 miles north of Jerusalem as the crow flies, just about 15 miles north, and people from Bethel come down. Now remember, these are Jews that return to the land. And they ask a very pertinent question. They ask the priests, they were speaking to the priests in verse 3, and to speak unto the priests uh, who were in the house of the Lord of hosts, and to the prophet, saying, should we weep in the fifth month separating myself, as I have done these so many years? So the question is asked, should we... Uh, Should we uh, fast again, as we did for so many years, literally 70 years, there was a fast that went on in the land of Babylon. When they were brought into captivity, when when um, when the temple was destroyed and they were all taken away, they were fasting, and we're going to see there were several fasts. Now, I want you to remember, please, this is so important because we need to get this in our context. Remember that all scripture is for us. But not all scripture is to us. This is written for the Jews, an exercise for the Jews to recognize something. All scripture is for us. It's given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Remember the book of Romans says it's written for our learning. Corinthians tells us that it was written for our example. So we we know it's God's word. We know it's what he wants us to know. And we recognize that God wants us to make application to these things in our own life. He wants us to learn something and to be doers of it. So they asked, should we fast as we have in the land of Babylon? Now, it's very interesting because this delegation of Jews that came down from Bethel, they were, back in, the, they were, in, they were in Babylon. Now they're released. They're back in the land. And they said, should we do what we did when we were in Babylon? The most interesting of this is there was no such fast recorded in the scriptures. There was no such fast. The only fast required by the nation of Israel was when they uh, celebrated the Day of Atonement. You can find that in the book of Leviticus chapter 23 and 16 through 32. Although the Jews could fast any time they wanted to, fasting was not wrong to do. There was no prescribed fast by God. This was a man-made fast. It was appropriated by people. It was not commanded by the Lord. And so uh, the question is, should we weep and fast in the fifth month? We don't, you didn't have a command to do it, and there's no command not to do it. So you can stop fasting if you wish, because you were fasting because the temple was destroyed. Now the temple is being rebuilt. But you can keep on fasting if you'd like. It's up to you. It's, it's not a command uh, from the Lord. And so that's what we want to look at. Uh, just for a moment, and make some application to the New Testament church, if I could, just for a moment. There were fasts. Not only was there one fast, there were several fasts. Head with me to chapter 8 and verse 19. There were several fasts in chapter 8 and verse 19. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah, joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love the truth and peace. So God said, these fasts that you were having because of your great sorrow for the destruction of Jerusalem, now you ought to fast for the glory of God has restored Jerusalem. God wants you to have joy in this so that you, you're you seeing God is beginning a new thing within your lives. Now, we might be able to ask uh, ourselves, at least I ask myself, and let's see if you join in with me, how why would this people do something that's not contained in the scriptures? Why would they fast? It's not in the Bible. God didn't make them fast. Why did they pick this up? Well, the uh, the uh, uh, the answer is obvious. It's because there was in such uh, turmoil, such hardship, uh, that which which God had provided for them, they rejected, they turned away from him, and he he destroyed it. So they were distraught. And really, fasting isn't so that you'll lose weight. That could be part of it, obviously, if you did that. But fasting is so that you'll sharpen your senses considering God and, and his judgment. God had something going on here. God did something. God brought something into your life, so you fast, the food becomes unimportant compared to the to the situation at hand. And so there's been times in my life where I have fasted. I'm sure there are times in your life. Why? Because it wasn't that I, that I, I couldn't eat. I, I wasn't interested in eating. I was not concerned about eating. Why? There was something going on that was more important than eating, and that was seeking the Lord face to face. Remember... Uh, that happened with Job. Job was in such turmoil. He said, I have considered the words of his mouth more important than my necessary food. He recognized recognized it was something more important than eating at the time. So we ask a question. um, Why would people do something that's not commanded in the scriptures? Well, the truth of the matter is that the church is inundated with that which is not commanded in the scriptures. It's just not there. Can I give you a few examples? Sunday school, it's just not there. Sunday evening service, it's not there. Prayer meeting, it's not there. It's not recorded in the scriptures that the church must meet together at these times and these dates. It's just not there. The only real model we have for the church meeting together is on Resurrection Day, the first day of the week. That's the only model we have from the New Testament as far as New Testament Christians are concerned. They met uh, for a a time of getting together, the breaking of bread, praying, and hearing of the word of God on the first day of the week, which we know to be Resurrection Day. You can see that from Acts chapter 6, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 20 and verse 6. Would you turn there with me for a moment, Acts chapter 20 and verse 6. Acts 20 and verse 6. There's three references. I won't have you turn to all of them. I just want you to see this one. And they are at Troas. Paul has come to Troas. That's in far uh, western uh, Turkey on the north of the peninsula. Uh, Troas is where they would take a ship across the Aegean Sea up into Philippi and Thessalonica and so forth. But in Troas, Paul... uh, lands and during his uh, missionary journey look at verse six and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came uh, to them to uh, came unto them to troas five days and we abode seven days upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together for the breaking of bread Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the next day and continued his speech until midnight So how long did the church meet? They didn't meet just for Sunday school or Sunday morning service or Sunday evening service. They literally met the whole day when they got together. Why? They were distances apart. They came together and they stayed together and fasted and uh, and sometimes had feasts together, ate together, prayed together. They would be there the whole day and then they would leave. This particular day uh, Paul teaches through the whole night. He only has a a certain amount of time there, he's, he's long in preaching, and one of the young men up on the third story fell asleep. His name is Eutychus. He's the father of all those who fall asleep in church. He's the first father. But there's Eutychus up there, and he falls down, and he, he's, Paul takes him up, raises him from the dead, and you can read that. Very, very interesting. But recognize that during this time, the church is meeting together the first day of the week. You see that in First in Corinthians chapter 16, when you get together... Uh, On the first day of the week, Paul said to the Corinthians, you take up the offering for Jerusalem when you get together. And so the command here is meet together the first day of the week. Revelation chapter 10, John uh, chapter 1, John refers to um, this first day of the week as the Lord's day. He met together on the Lord's day. So that's one of the commands. Uh, that the church meet together. They weren't told to meet for Sunday school, Sunday evening service, but to meet together for the breaking of bread and prayer. Also, the command to the church is the leadership is to clearly point out through the epistles, through the church truth, that the, uh, the church was to clearly point out the teaching of God's word. When the church met together, what happened? The apostles were to teach. The prophets were to teach. The elders were to teach the word of God. You see that from Acts chapter 20. The use of spiritual gifts was commanded in the church. Each one of us, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, was given a spiritual gift, and it's not an option. It's a command. You have to use your spiritual gift in local assembly. It's just not an option. Then the church was commanded to represent the king as an ambassador. We see that from the... Book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And then we're commanded to live according to the vocation or the the calling with which we were called. You're commanded to live according to the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk in the new man and don't walk in the old man. But all that we do as a church, the little things we do, the coffee time, between services and uh, the services themselves, that it's not a command from the word of God so that we do something that... Israel was doing when they were fasting. We do something that we feel is important, that it helps us in our spiritual life, it edifies us, so that's what we do. But it's not necessarily a command to do that. And so the fast that Israel was partaking was, was not uh, sin, but it was a practice. It was okay to do it. It was fine to do it, as long as they were doing it unto the Lord. Now when we head to the... uh, New Testament, we come upon some practices to individual churches, for example. I won't have you turn there, but in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you have ladies with head coverings. I'm looking around me. I don't see too many head coverings here. Uh, We have ladies with head coverings. They did that in the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it was a token of submission in that area of Corinth. Apparently, the... the, the, um, The female priests that were in part of the temple area, uh, the pagan temple area, they they were shaving their heads. And Paul said, listen, you need to cover your head. Your hair has been given you for a covering, but uh, there needs to be a head covering on top of you. Why? So that you don't look like the female priests that were part of the wicked, immoral uh, type religion that was going on. So the, the, the head covering was a token of submission. They just put it on as a token. The tokens are negotiable, you see. We meet together on sun, for Sunday school during the morning. Why? It's a token of us meeting together to hear from God, to learn more about him. The tokens, however, are negotiable. Now, how do we know that? Well, Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 16, this, however, was not the custom in other churches. So Corinth had to uh, do this because Paul said it's necessary that you go through this in your particular area, but other churches it was not necessarily the, the uh, was not necessarily a command. Within the non-negotiables, there's freedom and uh, generations come and go and really some ministries come and go. So some, some things happen within church lifestyle that some are for the better, obviously, but some are for the worse, some are for the worse. Uh, Church practices have gotten so some of the customs in some churches are, as far as this old guy is concerned, abominable. But some churches meet together and they think, well, we have this custom and this is what we do. Well, we must make sure that every custom that we have, every uh, non-biblical, negotiable uh, instrument that we're involved with is for the glory of the Lord. We, we need to be careful that everything we do is for his glory. I have a passage. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10? You know this passage well, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The non-negotiables we must be involved with. That is, we need to teach the word. We meet together for the breaking of bread. Uh, we need to make sure that we are uh, uh, exercising our spiritual gifts in our local assembly. We need to make sure that we're doing these things. Why? Because they're non-negotiable, God said, to do them. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, notice, please, if you would, in verse uh, 31, very well-known passage. He says, whether, therefore, you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, I want you to notice the context of that back in 23. Chapter 10 and verse 23, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient or necessary. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So though I can do certain things, I shouldn't do certain things. Why? They're not edifying. I should just be involved with worshiping God, honoring him, and everything I do is to be unto the glory of God. Whether you eat, therefore, or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So within within our Christian heritage that we have. We have non-negotiables, and there are negotiables. Now, it's interesting because when I first came to the Cornerstone Church, I'm sure that Doris will remember this, but when I first came there was just a few people, but every Sunday morning, uh, we would, after we took up the offering, we would all stand and sing the doxology. Do you know what that is? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. What are we thanking them for? The money. They were marching down the aisle, and Put the money up front. I thought, what? I don't like that. I don't like that. So I asked Brother Guy Angel. He was the elder here. He said, can we, in fact, uh, do this? Guy stopped the doxology. He said, yeah, you know. Well, what was it? It's a non-negotiable. I mean, it was a negotiable. It's it's just a practice of the church. It's not necessary. We didn't have to do it. Uh, I didn't. It just made me uneasy. So we decided to stop it. Oh. We heard some lip about that. We've been doing this for years. For years. People don't want to give up practices. They don't want to give up tradition, essentially. Then uh, we had where we wanted to change the Sunday evening. We had a whole bunch of kids running around here, and we wanted to change the Sunday evening service from 7 o'clock to 6 o'clock because the kids would come in, and we wanted to make sure that you could get home and get to sleep and all this business. Here. Oh, did we hear a mess about that. Oh, it was awful. Again, the church, didn't, it doesn't say they met at 7 o'clock. If it did, we'd, we'd still be meeting at 7. Whatever God said, that's what we're going to do. But we heard a lot about that. Now, it's important to recognize that our methods can change, but the message never changes. Methods can change. Uh, Different forms of ministry come and go, and it happens, and and we know that to be true. Different pastors come and go. Different different types of ministries come and go. Um, But the message needs to remain the same. The message is the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. It's important, very important, that we make sure we... Keep that in mind. You know, of course, you received the letter that we're going to be changing some of our services in the next couple of months. Uh, why? Well, because we we see a pattern going on. Uh, my particular ministry is is fading. You know, it, just look at the Sunday evening attendance; you can see that. So we're gonna we're gonna shift things up a little bit. Pastor Rob has asked us to stay along for a while, and we're going to do that. But recognize that. Things need to change. There needs to be a a change. And we understand that. We recognize that. And it's okay to change as long as we keep the same message. It's okay. You don't have to meet at 9.30 on Sunday mornings for Sunday school. You can meet at 6 o'clock for Sunday school. Why? Because what matters is not the method but the message. So we learn more about him. Now, it's very important. Turn back with me to Zechariah, and I'm going to close with this, please. Remember, we're to do all for the glory of God. And here's where the Lord takes these people to task. We're picking up in Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 4. Remember, they asked the question, should we keep on fasting? The question isn't really answered. It's not really answered, but I want you to see how God responds through Zechariah, chapter, four, uh, chapter 7 and verse 4. Then came the word of the Lord of the hosts unto me, saying, Speak to all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those seventy years, did ye at all fast unto me? Even me. See, you were fasting, but was it unto me? Was it unto me, or was it for your own religious purposes? You come to Sunday school for what reason? Because you're supposed to, or is it to learn? When you skip Sunday evening service, why? Why did you do that? What's the purpose? See, God knows our heart. Or when you come to Sunday evening service, why are you there? Because someone might say something, or is it unto the Lord? And you know, we have an example of that, and with this I'll close. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. You're very, very familiar with this. So God brings them the task about what? Yes, you were fasting, but was it for my glory or was it for your own religious benefit? And some people do things because they're supposed to do them. Some people do things because they have to do them. But God says, you need to do it for me. You need to do it so that I will receive the glory, so that I will have the preeminence in your life. Now, in Revelation chapter 2, you're very familiar. I'll close with this. You know the church at Ephesus. What were they like? Well, they were a going place. And you could say that about the Cornerstone Church. We think we're a going place. And we, 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 God is working, and we see that, and we're, we're thankful for what he does. However, however, you can go to any church that says that, and God might not be in it imagine that well how can this be how can that be well look if you would God says in verse 2 I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them that are evil and you have tried them that say the apostles and are not and has found them liars and you have borne, you have lifted, held on solid, and has patience for my name's sake, and has labored and has not fainted. But they, they sound like the cornerstone church. All kinds of people serving the Lord in different capacities, using their spiritual gifts. Thank God for that. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because you have left your first love. See, you're not doing it for the Lord anymore doing it because you're supposed to you're doing it but he's not in it so when we come to different services when we're involved in different ministries that I, it's not necessarily commanded of the bible like you're, you're teaching one of the young kids or or you're in the nursery or whatever it is that you are doing to exercise your spiritual gifts in this church whatever you're doing are you doing it unto the lord that's the question and that's what happened. Should we feast? Should we keep these feasts that we kept for so many years, meaning back in Babylon? God said, yeah, you can keep them, but are you doing them unto me? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for each one who has labored, who's come out, who has stayed. Father, I thank you. Father, we know that uh, we, can, uh, we can become very, very busy for you and not with you. We, we can become um, exercised over, over our busyness, and yet you're not part of it at all. Father, we pray that you'd help us. Just help us to see your glory and honor. Help us to make sure that we are fasting, praying, teaching, serving, giving unto you. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, help us to do it all to the glory of God. We pray in his name. Amen.